picking a passage of Scripture, Jeff, Jeff said, would, would you preach on, on this morning? And I said, yeah, I, that, uh, you know, I think, I think we could come up with something to, to, to say there. And then he said, I said, what, what do you want me to preach on? He said, whatever, you know, just whatever the Lord lays in your heart. Now, that's, that's not easy, you know. Because you got a lot to choose from, but then it's you know you got the Christmas thing, and believe it or not, the Christmas time is not easy to to, to really pick something from because you've 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 heard all the stories, you know you know there's no surprise endings, you guys got it all, so it's kind of like okay, well how do we do it? So anyway, I don't know. Rolling around in this deranged cranium of mine uh, came this this idea that uh, that you know we kind of start and we lead into. Um, you know, the birth of Jesus, what preceded that was the birth of John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist, uh, as he's commonly called. And so I thought, well, let's, let's look at that, and then, uh, and then what, what came before that. So we'll get there in a second. But uh, first, turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 5 uh, through 25. We're going we're gonna to cruise through here a little bit and see, see that story that, uh, that you know pretty well, I'm thinking, about John the Baptist. Verse 5, In the days of Herod the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were well advanced in years. So you have here, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are righteous people. They honored God with their lives. They did things right. As far as the law was concerned, they were blameless. They did things the way God wanted them to do. But they didn't have any children. And the stigma that goes with, especially in that day, the stigma that goes with not having children in that day was there's something wrong with you people. There's, There's an issue here. And we're not sure what it is, but there's something going on. And so they lived their lives blameless, honoring to the Lord, but they also had this this thing that was placed on them that there's just something that's not quite right about these people. Well, let's continue on. Zechariah was a priest, and uh, it says in verse 8, Now when he was serving as priest before God, when when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Incense, And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him the angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now what an, what an amazing picture. You've got to understand, he is in there alone. He's by himself and he's doing his job. He's been chosen by lot or by God to go and present this incense and burn this incense at the altar. And so he's there by himself, and all of a sudden, he's not alone. And there is an angel in there as, as going. I'd imagine this, this, this light was pretty bright, but I'd imagine you could also see this angel there. You know, part of my, uh, my job here, you know I work nights, I work with, with, with kids, and uh, so we, we work nights. And so part of my job hanging in this building, I'm, I'm here quite a bit in the evening hours. And we have a crew of custodial workers and janitors that, that do a great job. I mean, they just, they just serve and they just work hard, you know, and they do a great job. 
But the reality is sometimes in a big building when there's only like three or four of you there and it's the wee hours of, of the evening and, and even into the morning, uh, you get a little loopy. And uh, I have been here on more than one occasion when they'll be, you know, open the door and they'll be cleaning and getting stuff out of a uh, closet and they'll close the door. Ah, what are you doing? And, and one of their comrades is there, you know, scaring them. And so I, I don't know what that says about the crew. Maybe it's the late hours. I don't know. But, uh, but this happens quite often uh, around these parts. They are, they are a, great, uh, a great group, but they have, they have fun with each other as well. But this was a little more than that. This was like, wow. And we see that as we continue. Because it says in verse 12, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink any wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And so we got this son that is being born, and your prayer has been answered. Okay? Your, your prayer has been answered. Well, initially I would say, well, what, what prayer is that? I'm an old guy, and I've had lots of prayers. And so one of them is that, but he says, your prayer is going to be answered. You are going to have a son. Your, your wife is going to have a son, and you're going to name him John. Well, can't you imagine, and, and it, it says in here, he's like, you know what? I am ancient, and my wife is right behind me. There's this, this son thing is not really a possibility. So I don't know what kind of practical joke this is, but it, it's kind of weird. So we go on. And he says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That probably is the best way to put it, fellas, I think. You know, I am old, but my wife's advanced. You know, that's not bad. Good job, Zechariah. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. Well, isn't that what you want to hear? I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Oh, okay. Uh, I can't even imagine what's going through his mind at this point in time. You know, you're freaked out, then he lays this thing on you like you're going to have... The thing that you've been wanting all your life, your dream is finally coming true. He lays that on you. You don't believe it. And now he says, um, you know, that your, your, uh, your son is going to be an amazing, amazing man. He's going to bring the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And you don't believe him. And he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And because you don't believe me, we're going to read on. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. 
And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So they realized, something went on in there, you got freaked out, you saw vision, angels, something like that going on, maybe it spooked you a little bit, now you can't talk, you shock syndrome, whatever. And uh, so uh, the people understand this, but, uh, but they go home. And, uh, and at home, verse 24 and 25, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my approach, reproach among the people. Can't you just see the joy in her heart that she now has a son? I can imagine her hanging out at the retirement community with the other old ladies and saying, Oh, John's hungry. Here we go. And, you know, just kind of flaunting that she has now has a son, even though it's in her own age. Amazing. She's just so excited that that comes. John is filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. He will turn many in Israel to the Lord. And uh, verse 17 says, I will go before him in the power and spirit of Elijah. He has that label on the power and spirit of Elijah. And so, this power and spirit of Elijah, this was mentioned in Malachi. And we're going to look at that here in a second. But as, we, as we're turning to the book of, of Malachi, you've got to realize one thing. Before the angel Gabriel stands and shocks Zechariah, God had been silent for over 400 years. 400 years and some change. Nothing. No prophet, no word from God. It was silent. Twice as long as our country's been around. Nothing from God. That's a, that's a long time, in, in, in my opinion. And so if that is the case, if God has been silent for over 400 years, if I am going to be silent for a long time, which doesn't happen very often, but if I am, the last words that I'm going to say are going to be pretty important words, right? Before you leave someone. There's going, to be, there's going to be some things that you bring. And so what made sense to me in my mind, as we're looking at this preparation and birth of Jesus, and as John prepares the way for Jesus, what were those words that Malachi had to say? What were those words that God wanted to say through the prophet Malachi? And so that's where we're going to look. So if you turn to Malachi chapter 1, <clears throat> we're going to uh, we're going to do a quick summary of Malachi, and then we'll spend most of our time in chapter four. Malachi was a prophet that existed that lived um, after the second temple was built. You may remember that uh, the nation of Judah got taken captive and was over in Babylon, and uh, and they were there for uh, for quite a bit of time, and. As God allowed them to come back, they came back with Zerubbabel to help build the temple, the second temple, and they held, and Ezra the prophet was there with them. Okay, great stories, amazing, amazing books. Go back and read, read Ezra. And so they built the temple. It was a little bit smaller than the temple of, that Solomon built there, uh, but nonetheless, it was the temple. The temple had returned to Jerusalem. Well, no city is, is complete and no city is safe 
in those days without its walls. And so, Nehemiah came back and he brought a contingency with him. And the funding for these projects was from the king. How about that? God, God even provides the funding. And it's a foreign king to build his, uh, his city and his temple. So he comes back, uh, Nehemiah leads this contingency, and in 50 days they have the walls around Jerusalem built up. 50 days. That's not a lot of time for a project of that nature. But, uh, but they take care of that. And, uh, and it's not the total walls that were, again, Solomon's days. It's a little bit smaller, but that's, that's what goes on. And so Malachi was a prophet in those times. He was a contemporary of theirs. And actually, it was later on, after, after the walls had been built, it was a little bit later on, then Malachi's ministry came on. And he was the one that was, that was uh, there speaking God's word to the people uh, in those days. The book of Malachi covers a spectrum of offenses that God has with the, his people. Wouldn't you think, that being in captivity, having everything destroyed and going, and then God graciously brings you back. You have the temple rebuilt. You have the walls of the city rebuilt. Stuff is just starting to get going once again. Wouldn't you think you had learned your lesson? I, I would think so. But, you know, I don't know that we're all that different than, than the Israelites. And, uh, and sometimes lessons are hard to come by. But let's look at uh, the offenses that God has here. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. First of all, he starts out, he's got a problem with the priests. And he says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. You say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show favor to you, says the Lord of hosts? So he's saying, hey... In my law, you present a perfect sacrifice to me, the best of the best that you have. That's the deal. The first of your fruits. The best you got, that's what I want. That's what I deserve. Well, they would kind of like commit, uh, okay, this lamb is perfect, this is to the Lord, and then they'd give one that was less. One that was lame or blind. There's there's some issue with this. And so they would give an animal that that was not acceptable. And God said, well, do you do this to your governor? Would you give it to those in authority over you? Why do you treat me this way? And it was the priests who would accept those sacrifices and offer them as, sac- as acceptable sacrifices on the altar that he had problems with. What are you priests doing? You're leading my people astray. <clears throat> well, verse 14 in the same chapter, he, uh, he doesn't let the people be here. He says, Cursed be the cheat, who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So he's he's got it for the people too. People don't get off the hook. He says, you know, what's the deal? You, you, You vow one thing and you give another. He says, I deserve better. Don't give me your leftover sacrifices. 
You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I know when I am giving to the Lord, there are times when I am like, you know what, but I've got to consider my situation here. I need to make sure that I'm, I'm you know, doing okay and things are... And that's not the way it is. Because that focuses on me. He says, it's not about you. It's not about me, it's about Him. And so when we make our sacrifices, it's not us, it's Him. So it's not how much can I, can I afford to give. It's about what can I give the Lord. How can I do that? And that's what it's about. All right. He gets on the priest again here in chapter 2. Verses 7 and 8, he says this. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's the way it's supposed to work. But you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction, and you've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So the priests are not bringing the word. They're not preaching what they should preach. They're doing what they want to do and saying what they want to say, whatever they think is maybe acceptable to the people, however that works, I don't know, but they're not doing what God called them to do. And so he has issue with that, not teaching the word of God. As we continue down there in in, uh, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he says this, But what do you say? Why does he not? Because the Lord was a witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit of their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. What was going on here was this. The Hebrew men were divorcing their Hebrew wives and they were marrying foreign women, pagan women that would come in and they would would change their hearts toward God. They would lead them astray. And he's saying, I want godly offspring. Stay with the wife of your covenant. And so he, he gets on the men here that are, that are living this way, saying it is not right the way you're living. Now, in the beginning of chapter 3 here, we get the first uh, indication of, of uh, what's, what's going on and, uh, and, and the hope that is to come. Verse 3.1 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, as the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So it talks about the Lord coming to his temple. That day is coming. But it also talks about sending a messenger for for him to prepare that. Now the name Malachi means messenger. Okay, And so you could say, well, the messenger that he's he's talking about here is Malachi. But that's not really the case. And we're going to see that a little bit later here in the book. And we're also going to see that in a couple other passages we're going to look at. Malachi is not the messenger. He is a messenger. He's a prophet. There's a play on his name, but the messenger he's talking about is John the Baptist, and we're going to see that here in a bit. But he's talking about the day when the Lord will come again and and be in his temple. Matthew 3, 2 through 5. Look at this. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, 
And like a fuller's soap, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against those sorcerers, against those adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired workers in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Wow. He has a lot to say to people here. Those that are not honoring God with their lives. He says, you got two choices, basically. You got the refiner's fire, choice number one. That is where you say, God, I am sorry, please make me into the person you want me to be. And you know what this refining process of of precious metals, I'm I'm sure you're aware of that. You heat things up, get things real uncomfortable, until it burns off all all the the impurities. And all those are taken, and then you take off the pure metals, the precious metals that are there. That's, that's the way we refine. That's what a refiner's fire is like. It's not a pretty process. It's a difficult process. It's suffering. It's not easy. But the other option is less favorable. The other option is the day of judgment. And so you and I have this, have this choice to make. Do we make the choice of the refiner's fire where he is going to help make us into the people that he calls us to be? Or are we going to say, no, no, we're good, we're, we're okay, we're, we're, we're moving along, things are, things are rolling, we're fine, and we're just going to do our lives and we'll deal with that, whatever, and, and then you face the day of judgment. It's one or the other. Either we refine and we go through that suffering and that difficulty, or we have the day of judgment and that's when, uh, that's when it really comes down. That's when we really find out what uh, our lives have earned us, the way you live your life. And so that's the choice he gives them. That's the choice he gives them. Cleansing by the refiner's fire, painful and difficult, or is it judgment before an almighty God? Verses 3 through 6, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 6 through 10 are some of my favorite verses in in this book. For I, the Lord, do not change. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? God does not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions you are You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God wants his house taken care of. And he gives us, as his people, the privilege of taking care of his house, of taking care of his people, of taking care of his, his work here. And not only does he, does he show that it's a privilege and that, that we aren't doing the job, but he lays down a challenge, doesn't he? He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour down upon you blessing and blessing and blessing. But the focus is not 
on us. It's on him. It's on him. He's laid down a challenge. And the question is, are, are we, do we believe that that challenge will really come true? But if you're saying, okay, if I give, God better, well, is that really the heart you want? But he is saying, give, give, and see what happens. I think you'll be pleased. Malachi 3.16 says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. You know, I want my name in the book of remembrance. And I think you guys do too. That's where we want to be. We want God to remember us on that day of judgment. Because I, I have at times said, okay, I'm going to stand before God in judgment, and he's going to say, you know, whatever the question is, and I'm just going to go, uh, uh, and I got nothing to say. And so you just turn to Jesus and you go, uh, and I want my name to be in that remembrance. All right, Malachi chapter 4. It speaks about that day. Remember, over 400 years have gone by, or, or will go by after this, till the Lord speaks again. Here it is. Here's his last things he's going to say for 400 years. Malachi 4.1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall, be, shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts." The day the arrogant and the evildoers face judgment. That's going to be quite a day. You know, God may deal with the arrogant and evildoers here on earth. He may deal with them while they are still here in our time. But He may save it and deal with them in the day of judgment. But make no mistake, the accounts will be settled God will settle the accounts and we will get what we have brought upon ourselves. Matthew 4, the, the, the second verse there, Malachi 4, 2, it says that those who fear the Lord will have healing and will come forth leaping like calves from the stall. You're just, you're just leaping out there. This healing... Will this be a physical healing? Yeah, I think it's a physical healing. I think God will, will physically heal His people. But even if that's not on earth here as we speak, I think and I know that there will be spiritual healing for those that fear the Lord. Now here's the deal. <clears throat> Back in the day, okay, it was quite a while ago, I, I used to be a pretty good jumper. I used to have some leaps in my legs. God gifted me with with big legs that work pretty well. But now, not so much. Now, you could get the uh, Monday edition underneath my vertical jump, if you know what I'm saying. There's not a lot there, okay? That's the way it is. 
Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, they got no idea what I'm talking about, but you will eventually. But I remember when I used to jump pretty good, effortlessly, I could run a long time and it was no problem on my legs. I could jump high and just go, wow, this is great. I remember, and that's what these calves are doing. That's what these, they're, they're just so excited to be set free, to be out of the stall. They're just jumping all over the place. They, they can't control themselves. Isn't it that the way it is with, with young ones, young calves and young peoples too? They can't control themselves. It's so exciting. That's the day for those that fear the Lord. That's what we're looking forward to. So exciting, I can't even stand it. That's what we're looking forward to. So we continue on. Verse 4. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rule that I commanded him at Horeb for all of Israel. The righteous will live by God's statutes. It's really not that, that hard to figure out. The righteous will do what God wants them to do. And we got the, we got the but and the, you know, and, I, and, and you know, the righteous will do what God wants them to do. He died and rose again so that we could be free from sin and death, so that we could love God and love others. Love God, love That's what he wants us to do. And that's what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to love God, and we are supposed to love others. Let's go on. Five and six. Here we get to uh, the passage that points us towards the future. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord, Elijah will come. This Elijah will bring reconciliation to the fathers and their children. I think the fathers here, as I've studied, as I've looked at that, I think the fathers here, it, it, it is your, 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 your children, but I think it's a more of a... Uh, the, the patriarchs, the spiritual patriarchs, and, and the way you've been raised in a righteous uh, environment, and pursuing that and, that, and that parents and fathers and mothers are to pursue their children and to, to be about bringing them into living the way that God wants them to live, encouraging them in that way. And the sons and the daughters are to turn and are to pursue the things of their parents, making the faith their own. Kids, you know, you can't, you can't rely on your parents. They, they, they will not make a decision as to whether you love the Lord or not for you. It can't happen. They can't do it. It won't happen. You've got to decide. As parents, it is our job to, to bring them along to take an active role in their lives. And I think this is a call for fathers and mothers to take an active role in the lives of their children and to bring them closer to the Lord, to plead with them, to, to be about introducing them to the things of the Lord. It's an, it's an active call. But the reality is parents can't do it for their kids. They can, they can encourage them. They can help them along that way. They can show them the right direction. They can lay it before them. But the kids, every one of us must choose ourself. They can't do it for us. 
So God promises that he will bring this about. That if the children don't return to the spiritual heritage, the righteous heritage of their fathers, of their mothers, he will bring about, uh, strike the land with destruction. That's what he says. That's what he claims. Elijah is referred to here. And Elijah was a prophet that, uh, that was, um, would proclaim God's judgment against wicked and rebellious people. You may remember a guy named Ahab, King Ahab, and his wife, his lovely wife Jezebel. And, uh, and he got to go and proclaim uh, to them several times. And he got to work with people that were kind of rebellious and nasty. But, but that, was his, uh, that was his deal. He, he brought God's judgment, his proclamation against a rebellious people. He dressed kind of funny. He dressed in animal skin clothes. And uh, I know, I know uh, Mike Weber wears a, a camel skin coat around. I don't know if it looked like that. I'm guessing it didn't. But he had animal skin clothes and a leather belt around. Okay, And uh, he spent a lot of time by himself kind of... You got it. All right, there you go. Um, <clears throat> he spent a lot of time by himself, okay, out in the wilderness and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and part of that was he was running for his life. Um, but Elijah preached repentance and soon to be judgment upon the people. That's what he did. That was, that was his deal. That was a message that he brought. And you know, each of these things is also true about John the Baptist. It is very, very true about John. And I think and, and I know that these passages are pointing to John the Baptist, not in so much that it says right in here. It, it does, and it represents it very well. But there's a couple other places that I want to point us to that really shows that this was John the Baptist, and it was set in preparing the way for Jesus' birth on earth. Let's turn uh, just uh, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. <clears throat> and Jesus... Uh, Jesus is talking about John here, starting in verse 7. He says this, And when they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you see? What, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? When then did you go out to see? A man dressed, I'm sorry, what then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and, a violent, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John that if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. And so he claims that, yeah, you went out to see John, and John pe- preached repentance, but he is the Elijah who's coming. He is the one to prepare the way. He is it. And so he shows us the role that John had. Turn to Matthew 17. This is the transfiguration. After Jesus and uh, Peter, James, and John were on the mountain, 
with Jesus, and there appeared with them Moses and Elijah. Hopefully you remember this story. And Jesus was, was kind of illuminated, and, and this transfiguration happened here, and Peter got so excited. Oh, this is so cool. This is great. Tell you what, I will build some shelters, I'll build some buildings, and we can just kind of hang out here and have a good, you know, and he just, and, and Jesus is like, Peter. He's like, no. And so, as Peter says this, and he was so excited, as they're coming down the mountain, this is what he says to Peter, James, and John, starting in verse 19. And they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all, all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and, he did not, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. So he was explaining to them who John the Baptist was, that he was coming and that he would, have, that he would suffer, and that, but that he would prepare the way for the Messiah to come and that the Messiah would suffer. And they didn't quite get that part, but the part that they did get was that he was talking about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was this Elijah figure that was to come, that was to prepare the way. That they understood. And so these last words... Before the silence. As I wrap things up, what do these words have to say to us? You know, quite honestly, I really don't think there's a whole lot of differences between the Christian church in America right now and what was going on in Malachi's day. There's a lot of similarities. And it's frustrating. But I think that we can listen to the pleas of Malachi, and I think we can learn a few things. So here's, here's what I came up with. First thing, the day is coming when the arrogant and the evildoers will be dealt with severely. The day is coming when the evildoers and the arrogant are dealt with severely. God will bring about judgment. He will settle the accounts in that day. Make no mistake about it. The accounts will be settled. And so while we may uh, go about our lives, we're saying, man, the evil in this world just seems to have success and seems to flourish. God will settle those accounts. But to those who fear him, it is a question. Is it refiner's fire or is it judgment? And I think that's really a question that both of us, all of us, need to ask ourselves. Is it refiner's fire? Am I willing to be tested and to suffer and to be molded into the person that God wants me to be? Or am I going to put that off and pursue my own way and uh, see how things work out on the day of judgment? What is my attitude? How do I proceed? It's a great question. Second thing, those who fear the God will receive healing. And again, healing on earth, yes, I believe that, is a, that, that will happen. There are times when that doesn't happen. But I believe and I know that spiritual healing will occur. And it will happen. And the picture of calves leaping out of their stalls because they have freedom for the first time, 
To me, that works. I hope that works for you. The third thing. We are to live by God's standards and honor Him with our lives. He called us to live by His principles and statutes. That's what He called us to. And we can do all sorts of explaining as to why it doesn't fit in this particular situation and why in our, you know, in our current situation this is really a, a different... But the reality is He calls us to live by His statutes, to do the things He tells us to do. And I think most of the time... It's really not that we, and I'm speaking right here as well, uh, it's not that we don't understand what God wants us to do, it's that we aren't willing to do it. We're just stubborn and obstinate people. And we won't do what God wants us to do. For whatever reason that is, we just won't do it. So living by the standards that God calls us to. The fourth thing, realize that the awesome day of the Lord has come. It is different since Jesus has come. His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection on the earth, it is different. We have the Holy Spirit amongst us. The day of the Lord has come. And we need to pursue God with all that we have. You know, one of the songs we sang today was One Pure and Holy Passion. And amazing words, great words. One line in there says this, Lead me on and I will run after you. I will run after you. And that is what God is calling us to do here from Malachi. I think a lot of times we meander along the way and eventually we'll find ourselves in the vicinity of God. That's not what he's about. Run after him. Pursue him with everything you got. That's what he calls you to. That's what he's asking for. That's why he came. It's not just a meander. It's not just eventually we'll get there. It's not just, well, I'll see what other kind of options I have. That's not what it's about. It's, it's pursuing God with what we have. I will run after you. And part of that, and this is a thing that, you know, you, you write some things down uh, as, you're, as, you're, as you're doing a sermon, and then all of a sudden you go, boy, is that convicting? Well, this is where, this, this was one of those for me. Do you make it a practice to make sure that things that draw you closer to the Lord are non-negotiables in your life. Do you make that a practice? Is it a non-negotiable that you will surround yourself with things that draw you closer to the Lord? See, it's, it's quite proven, although Hollywood won't admit it, but it's quite proven that, that things that surround us, that we surround ourselves with, have an influence on us. If that was not the case, advertisers would all be broke and there'd be nobody in advertising. But it's a pretty good business from what I understand. The things you surround yourself with have an effect on you. Hollywood won't admit it, but yet they prove it every day in their movies, don't they? Every movie that's released, you know. The things that surround us have an effect on us. Is it a non-negotiable in your life that you will surround yourself with things that draw you closer to God? Wow. That's just like, oh, okay, I got it. I hope you get it. Fifth thing, fathers and parents, they need to take an active role in encouraging their children towards the Lord. Parents, this is our job. We need to take an active role in encouraging our children towards the Lord. We need to take every advantage of the opportunities we can. Don't allow them to figure it out on their own. Encourage them, bring them, lay it before them, bring them there. Be active. Be about bringing them 
before the Lord and teaching them what they need to, to be teached. This is our job. This is what we're called to do. But children, take a hold of the God-honoring heritage that you have. Pursue it. Because you need to make the decision. Parents, it's, it's not on us as parents for you to make the decision for God. You make it on your own. It is your decision to make. And so you need to become serious about your relationship with the Lord. You need to pursue Him. You need to surround yourself with the things of the Lord and make that your practice. You know, as I looked at these, at these words of Malachi, I, I, just, I just saw them resonating with where we're at today. And it was convicting for me and yet encouraging. And I hope it was the same for you. Pray with me if you would. Father God.